We've been listening to Nirvana all January's day. January's dick. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing and now you're trying to feed him your body fluid. shall kill all of your hands and a dog fish a tampon out of the garbage. It ain't right to pop you, but you can pretend like you will. A dog. Wow. It's Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Up Evil. My name is Jocelyn. I'm the brunette. We've got Katie. She's the redhead. Hello. And we have Carly. She's the blonde. Hiya. We are finally covering Kurt Cobain, Quinnies. Finally. Finally. The I know we, we say this every episode, but we've been talking about this for a long time. For those of you who don't know, and I know that's not many of you, Kurt Cobain was the lead singer of Nirvana, of course, one of the most influential rock bands of all time. Fight me on it. Let's take this outside. Seriously. Who unfortunately was found dead in his home on April 8th of 1994 from an apparent suicide. Okay. And suicide is in quotation marks here. And we will continue to keep it in quotation marks throughout this entire series. Absolutely. You get to decide that one for yourselves, Quinnies. And it's important to remember right up top, nothing like Nirvana had ever happened ever. Nope. Nope. So even if you weren't there or you don't remember, or you've only seen clips on YouTube, they were everywhere on the cover of every magazine, played day and night on the radio in a time before we could tweet to our rock stars or follow them on Instagram, mm -hmm. especially for people like us born in the mid to late eighties. We all remember this. Their music has stood the test of time to this day. Never mind. Their most successful CD has sold over 85 million copies worldwide. All of us Quinnies have been listening to a lot of Nirvana in prep for this series. This is the episode one of a two-part series, and it's just still so good. Give Courtney Love a couple nickels and to put, put Nirvana on the old Spotify and just, just go through the back catalog because it's so good. It really is. There are tons of conspiracy theories surrounding Kurt Cobain's death. We're going to go hard into those on episode two. But for now, we're going to start with the life of Kurt Cobain. And I think it's Binny who's going to start with his childhood. Kurt Donald Cobain was born on February 20th of 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington at Gray's Harbor Hospital. He was a very happy baby. Like he was a really loving, according to his family members, he was like a sweet, loving baby and was very social and loved people. Like he actually really loved people. He loved to be held, picked up. His mother was when Elizabeth. Her maiden name was actually Freidenberg and she was a waitress and his dad was Donald Leland Cobain. He was an auto mechanic and he also worked at a lumber mill doing logging because he was like a very tough, hardworking guy, we'll say. Yeah, blue, very blue collar family. Mm -hmm. Very yes. like not, this is not a dude that comes from money. His parents got married on July 31st of 1965 in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. His ancestry included Dutch, French, English, German, Irish, and Scottish. Kurt's younger sister had a younger sister. Her name was Kimberly and she was born April 24th, 1970. So she was three years, three years younger than Kurt. His family like had a really hefty musical background. Like he, he literally came from a lot of music. His maternal uncle, Chuck Freidenberg, played in a band called the Beachcombers. His aunt, Marie Earl, played guitar, and she also performed in bands like throughout the Grays Harbor County. His great uncle, Delbert, had oh. Delbert. Yeah, is that a great name? <laughs> Delbert. Okay. 
his great uncle Delbert had a career as an Irish tenor, and he also made an appearance in a 1930s film, King of Jazz. He would draw his favorite characters from a very early age. He started drawing at like the age of three. He would draw cartoon characters such as the creatures from the Black Lagoon, Donald Duck, and his grandmother, Iris Cobain, really encouraged him in his artwork because she herself was a professional artist. According to his Aunt Marie, he began singing at age two, and at age four, he began playing his toy piano and singing songs. When he was five, he actually wrote a song about a trip to a local park. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Like, obviously, it was probably just something cheesy. Yeah, of course. Still. Yeah. So amazing. And the, there's videos, such cute little videos too, of like him being surrounded with all these toys. And like he has a dog, like a stuffed animal, like in his hand. But all he cares about is like his little toy piano. Like he's infatuated mm. with the piano. He just mm-hmm. loves it. Super early music that he listened to, like as a kid, he loved to sing the theme song to the Monkeys TV show, like when he would watch it with his family. <laughs> oh, and um, he also loved Hey Jude by the Beatles because his aunt would play that a lot and he would sing that when he was little. So when he turns nine years old, his parents get divorced. He said much later in his life that this obviously had a really profound impact on him because at that point in his life, he came became very defiant and like kind of became lost in a way. He actually said later in a 1993 interview, I remember feeling really ashamed for some reason. I was ashamed of my parents. I couldn't face some of my friends at school anymore because I just desperately wanted to have the classic, you know, typical family, mother, father. I just wanted that security. So I resented my parents for quite a few years because of that. Apparently Kurt's dad had made a promise to him that he wouldn't get remarried because obviously Kurt was so damaged, like from the divorce. Well, of course, to Kurt's dismay, like his dad ends up getting married and he marries a woman named Jenny Westaby. And Jenny has two kids of her own, Mindy and James, and they all move into a house together. And at first, Kurt really likes his stepmom Jenny and things are going okay because she gave him like a lot of motherly attention that he really wanted and he felt like he needed and things were good but then in January of 1979 Jenny gave birth to a boy named Chad Cobain and that sort of really changed the dynamic in the house and it made her start to feel like you know disassociated from the family and he felt like this is not my family like this is what he would say like they're not my family he grew resentment like towards her her as Especially in a way, um, he was like extra mean, which sucks because I, I I feel bad for her. I really do because I feel like Jenny tried. Definitely, like, I feel like yeah, it's she not was an easy situation. For no, Kurt's mother gets with a man. Also, a little bit later, she gets with a man who is very abusive, and Kurt actually witnessed some of this domestic violence that was being inflicted on his mother. His mother was actually even hospitalized by this guy, and he broke her arm. Family tried to get Wendy to his mother to press charges against him but she refused and she actually stayed committed to the relationship and like stayed with this guy and that really that really messed up Kurt not only did he not like seeing her being abused but he he just she stayed with him after it and that just is like that doesn't sit well especially with a young kid Kurt really is struggling during this time obviously like I said and like he starts bullying this one kid at school and starts like kind of making fun of this kid and it becomes a problem and his father and Jenny they take him to a therapist and the therapist says well you know like he really would just benefit from a single family environment. Like he's being, you know, kind of tossed all over the place and like, it's, it's causing him a lot of stress. And like, he just needs like some stability. This therapist basically says finally on June 28th of 1979, Kurt's mother actually ends up granting full custody to Kurt's father because she couldn't handle him because the therapist said that he needed to be with one family. So they felt like he needed to be like with them. They're kind of tossing him back and forth. He he's with the dad. But what happens is then dad can't handle him either. And he's just, he's becoming too much. He's like sneaking out. He's starting to do like, he's starting to vandalize things. And like, he's just, he's being really reckless and dad can't handle him either. So dad says, you got to go. And he sends Kurt to actually live with like some friends. And he also stayed with family members. He like basically starts couch surfing. Essentially. He moves in with the Reed family who is actually a born again, Christian family. Yeah. This this is is an interesting rabbit hole. So he he moves in with the Reed family and they're this this born again Christian family and they're they're pretty they go to church. He really becomes like a part of that for a, for a small time of his life and really 
feels like religion was a really big part of his life. And it, it remained that way, even though he quickly renounces his faith, later begins, go, like goes on anti-God rants. So it changes pretty dramatically. But he did have this phase of like being trying to be Christian and like trying to kind of find, I just think that he was so lost and he was like searching, yeah, was searching you know, exactly. like we all, all do, void, like we know? all do. Although Kurt was really uninterested in sports overall as a kid, he did join the wrestling team, but that was mostly because his father insisted and enforced him to do it. Uh, he was actually pretty good at wrestling, but he was constantly ridiculed by the coach as well as his teammates. He would let them pin him in, um, on purpose, like during, matches in order to make his dad mad because his dad was so obsessed with Kurt playing sports. I'm so glad you brought this up because this is, this is planting the seed right here. This is classic Mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain. We have to remember this. He's Mm -hmm. deliberately doing things to piss people off. It's just Mm -hmm. how it's the person that he is. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, it it started at a very early age. Like if you're going to fuck with me, like I'm going to give you hell for it. His dad wasn't like, his dad never hit him or anything like that but his dad was very um aggressive and firm and stern and would definitely get cross with him and definitely like yeah, would definitely scream some you know what he felt was some sense into his son Kerr also befriended a gay kid at school which resulted in even more bullying and badgering Kurt said that he liked people that thought he, he liked it that people thought he was gay because he didn't like people. And so if they thought that he was gay, they would leave him alone. Um, so right away, you can tell, too, that like he was just a loner. He was a loner. According to Kurt, this is when he started like vandalizing, like he would spray paint God is gay on pickup trucks around the Aberdeen area. I love that. I love that. I love that. And, you know, this kid can't like, handle this kid. Cannot. Yeah. Handle him. Police records have Kurt being arrested for spray painting "Ain't Got No How Whatchamacallit" on vehicles. <laughs> oh, so, it's so high school! It, it is. is so it, high it, school. It is, and it brings me right back to the '90s, and it yep. brings me back to a lot of the same things that uh, it's just so punk rock. So uh, he didn't pay much attention during school. Most of the time, he would be drawing. He d- would draw really weird objects and strange things. He liked to draw things that were associated with human anatomy. He was actually given an assignment in art class, which was to draw a caricature, and he drew Michael Jackson, which was apparently inappropriate at that time. And so he drew Ronald Reagan instead, but it was like a really, <laughs> apparently it was an unflattering portrayal of Ronald yeah, Reagan. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. Art and electronics classes or where Kurt actually met his friend Roger Buzz Osborne. Buzz was a singer and a guitarist for a band called the Melvins. And this is where Kurt gets introduced to punk rock music mm-hmm. and heavy metal. Buzz shows him this music. He makes Kurt a mixtape. Kurt is like freaking obsessed. He's completely yeah. obsessed. Like literally hears the Sex Pistols and he's like, my life is changed, forever changed. Some of these earliest bands that were on this mixtape were bands like kiss and it's so funny like a mixtape like literally a mix a mix mixtape from someone was like the best gift so early early music included queen cheap trick kiss black sabbath the sex pistols and so 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 many more those are those are just some to name a few cobain went to see the melvins outside of a market a thriftway supermarket that was like apparently his first concert however there's a lot of different claims up to what his very first concert ever was but kurt himself claims that it was the melvins that they were the first band that he ever saw Punk scene obviously becomes a huge comfort to Kurt. Like that was where he felt he started to feel free, like in that scene. So around his 14th birthday in 1981, Kurt's uncle offers him a bike or a used guitar. And Kurt chose to take the used guitar. He also played left. This is so cool. He also played left-handed, even though he had been forced his whole life to, to write right-handed. And yeah, I think they used to not let you be left-handed. They used yeah. to like they used to yeah. like force it out of you to be like, mm-hmm. no, you write with your like, right hand. Even when yep. we were kids. 
Yeah. Uh huh. So they say that Crazy. he's ambidextrous. So yeah, he played with the left hand, which is really cool. His sophomore year of high school, he ended up moving back in with his mom. Well, she immediately tells him, you have to get a job or you need to go. Like you need to either get a job or you need to get out basically. Well, he ends up getting out during that time is when he really starts to struggle with major mental issues. He feels banished and defeated. He's again, surfing on friends' couches and he would even occasionally sneak back into his mother mother's basement without her knowing. And sometimes he would sleep under bridges over the Wishkaw River. So, I mean, I know he's only, we're, we're only looking at 14, 15 year old Kurt right now, but I don't really hear about any women <laughs> in his life. Like I don't really hear yeah. about about like, you know, like a little girlfriend or whatever, you know, like, or boyfriend, whatever. But like, you don't really hear about um, him with the ladies at all, or with, you know, really even interested in dating, whoever. Carly, you have anything to say about that? (laughs) I do. Quickly though, aside for that one friend, you don't really, he doesn't really mention any like friends either, really. Nope. He's not, again, we're going to come up against this again and again, Quinny's. Everybody after Kurt Cobain died was like, Kurt and I were real close. And I'm like, I don't believe you. I just don't believe you because you either. just, you don't see it in his pattern of behavior. He's not, just like Katie said, he's a loner. You were not his best friend. Everyone no. was not his best friend. No. no. He did have a, a lady friend named Tracy. Tracy. Really quick, just so I, just for my own knowledge, what are our collective thoughts on Tracy as a person? She was, she's on Helps Montage me. of Hack, right? Yes. Isn't yes. She? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. she is. Yeah. Yes, she is. Which is a which is prob that whole documentary is problematic for a lot of reasons. I feel like there's a lot of things in it where you're just like, what? Well, like, I think you're ta- I think you're taking some leaps here. But oh, uh, yeah, she is um classic small town into the gossip, loving it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it kind of goes along with what you were saying about people coming out of the woodwork saying like, oh, they were Kurt's best friends or whatever. Like. Okay, so yes, Kurt and Tracy did end up having a relationship for a time. And, it, you know, at the time, he was like, what, 20 years old? And they, yeah. they're they still adults. Like, it's their first, like, grown-up relationship of any kind. Kurt had been, like, visiting Olympia for concerts, like, all the time. And he starts seeing this woman named Tracy. And according to her, she liked him first, but he was completely clueless about it. Courtney hmm. Love. That says sounds the familiar. exact same thing. Same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yes. So, oh, yeah. we're going to get in Okay. They met, they hit it off. Eventually, apparently he glued in that she liked him and he was like, yeah, sure. Let's have a relationship. They had a close relationship for a little while, but it would become like a pretty strained relationship because they're young. He had like just moved out on his own. According to Tracy, like they were just so in love and it was just, they were hot and heavy and they were playing. They would end up playing house together. They ended up moving in together. She said that like like five times. Yeah, she says a lot. Yeah. So, you know, whatever you think really happened or whatever, really. This is, you know, I don't <laughs> like, this is like, you know, five, six times in this episode, we're going to be like, you decide. You know, you decide. Yeah. But during this time, he was making his album, Montage of Heck, the home recordings. He used a two track recorder. He would use records, like some TV clips, random sounds. He would record his songs. Like, and it took him a quite a while. He like pieced together at least over two years, I believe. And he used to like making like TV montage of VH tapes like mixing shows of the 60s and 80s together like old movies random commercials random infomercials like just him randomly talking like absolute randomness yeah it's incredibly random it is like it's so creative it's so random it's either terrible or genius like you decide you decide you decide it's so 90s too because it's like i'm bored in my house i have to do let's play on the tape recorder before having a smartphone and you're going on TikTok, like he, yes. he was a creative person anyway. So he liked to use his brain in that way. Yeah. Right. And of course he was often stoned while ever he was making it. Of course. But Tracy said she loved it and she would often listen to her copy of the album while driving to work to keep her awake. And Kurt would like to listen to it while he was on acid. As I mean, long fine. as he's not driving on acid, whatever, <laughs> listen to it. Listen up, whatever, cool. At the time, Tracy was working um, at the cafeteria of the Boeing plant in Auburn, and she would she would support both her and Kurt. Like he wasn't, he didn't have a job. He briefly started a janitorial business. It was very short lived. 
And he really didn't get another job after that. But Tracy didn't really make a lot of money. She would often um, steal food from the cafeteria where she worked to bring home. This wasn't great with Tracy. She got frustrated, of course, which probably any of us would. And she tried to insist that Kurt got a job, but he wouldn't. He can't do it. He can't do it. He can't do it. He's not a nine to five. He doesn't have it. No, no. No, he has that. And he has a racing creative mind that that can't rest. But this would cause a lot of arguments between the couple. Kurt would take that strife and channel it directly into his art. And it influenced him to write the song about a girl, which would end up being on the Nirvana album Bleach, the cover photo for the album that was apparently actually taken by Tracy. But Tracy didn't actually find out that the song was about her until like way later. Um, But she is very fond of telling about anybody who will listen that now it is about her so most definitely so their relationship was doomed and they broke up (laughs) later Later. so after his relationship with tracy ended kurt started dating toby vale who was an influential punk zinester who belonged to the riot girl band bikini kill well they're awesome would eventually belong to riot band yes yeah they are awesome very quiet good match they're a good match here totally it makes sense for sure Mm -hmm. toby was um was from auburn washington she had come from a family line of drummers like so again with like the musical family history like Kurt um and she was like a central figure in the riot girl scene she actually coined the spelling of g-r-r-r-l girl she was rocking out she was fucking influential yeah really was so at the time that she met Kurt Toby was hanging out with the rock band the Melvins that we had already talked about and Kurt would end up playing guitar on a song for one of Toby's first bands go team and the first time Kurt met Toby like he was infatuated with her like he puked because he was so overwhelmed, <laughs> like the first time they met, like he just he's peed. just he's him so little him has like stomach issues, little him has does, stomach problems. He does, he does but he's just so oh man, he gets in his own way so many he times. You're just like buddy, like he is oh. in his brain constantly too much. Like yeah. so, this event, the puking, inspired the lyric "Love you so much it makes me sick." They would start dating in July of 1990, and Kurt viewed Toby as his equal, like his female counterpart, but Toby. Toby and Kurt, while they were hot and heavy and he was totally like enamored, their relationship was flawed. Kurt really wanted to have more of like a traditional relationship, which is interesting to me, actually. Yeah. He still Yeah, but I think he was just ready to go all in with her. He He was just ready. He was. But I think he also was still searching for that just like dynamic nuclear family thing that he didn't have growing up. Toby wasn't about that life. She felt that was sexist and especially like within the punk rock community, like she's not about it. So her friend Alice Wheeler described Toby's like past lovers or relationships as fashion accessories. <laughs> That's okay. cold as shit. That is sad. That is That's ice bad. cold. That is ice cold. Kurt and Toby, they would spend most of their time together, like talking about politics, philosophy, music. So they, you know, they did have a lot in common. They really did get along well. Mm-hmm. It's just fundamentally not what they wanted from a relationship, you know. By 1990, they collaborated on a musical project called Bathtub is Real. They both sang, they played guitar and drums, and they recorded it on a four-track tape. So like they're being creative together. On October of 1990, Toby would found the punk rock band Bikini Kill. And Toby found Kurt super inspiring and a fun person to play music with. And Kurt would be very inspired by Toby writing lyrics to many of the songs of Nevermind about their relationship. This is such a big cornerstone of this story. We said how popular Nevermind was, right? Mm -hmm. That's about Toby Vale. That will always be about Toby Vale. That will that album is about her. Like, yeah, exactly. So it will never be about anyone else who comes along. And it will be a constant reminder to anyone else who comes along that he had a relationship prior and it was a very powerful relationship. So our man Dave Grohl, he was living on Kurt's floor and he was literally doing his house chores for him. Like he was taking care of Kurt. Dave was dating Kathleen Hanna. Four of them, Kurt, Toby, Dave, and Kathleen would hang out all the time. And one day Kathleen wrote, Kurt smells like teen spirit on the wall. And she was talking about the fact that Kurt smelled like Toby's deodorant. And Kurt later said he had no idea until after the single smells like teen spirit, which is like their, honestly, their biggest song. Biggest hit. Yeah, for sure. He had no idea it was about deodorant. He thought it was like a revolutionary slogan. Yeah. Like a punk rock slogan. Completely clueless. Yeah. It was just a woman's deodorant brand. Yeah. So funny. But Toby and Kurt would eventually split up October of 1990 and they really weren't 
together actually that long, but it was like a very, still a very influential relationship. Obviously he was 23. Toby was 21 at the time. Kurt really just felt like their relationship wasn't progressing as he wanted to. Um, and he dumped her. Young love. Young love. You know, like a flame and it burns out. (laughs) It's there. It's, it's not an eternal flame. It just, (laughs) it just boils up and then it's gone. From what I understand, Seattle in the 1990s was a very, very special place to be and a very Mm -hmm. interesting collective group of artists, late 80s, Mm -hmm. early 90s. Let's roll it back a little bit. Now, now we're starting to understand Kurt Cobain. Yes, he's dating, but the dating is interesting to say the least. He's living with a, with a woman who is not an artist. And then he's with a woman who is very much an artist, but that doesn't work out either. He hasn't quite found his footing with it yet. Um, He's not, you know, he's not doing the hookup thing that everybody did in their late teens, early twenties. He's just, he didn't want to be, it's like, he liked to be, he liked to play house and be comfortable with another and secure with another person. He did drop out of high school. So we're going to roll it back just a little bit. He did end up dropping out of high school, just like Katie said. I mean, he spent most of the time drawing anyway, bad pictures of Ronald Reagan. Probably not bad, probably very good, but just like mean pictures of Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And whatever. I'm not trying. I'm not sticking up for Ronald Reagan here. I'm just, you know, (laughs) it's just as viewed by his school. Um, So he does. He drops out of school, forms his first band with a group of his friends, and they they were called Fecal Matter. Fecal Matter. (laughs) Fuck Yeah. yeah. Like fecal matter they were so uh, surprisingly fecal matter disbanded they did they were didn't last but kurt obviously he's still really super into playing music so and he's not everyone's cup of tea we see that throughout this time he's he has problems with bandmates with band names with direction of the band with what the music's going to be about what music we're going to play he is a great artist and a lot of great artists don't have a lot of friends and can't get their shit together like it's just yeah it's it's really they can be very very hard hard to be around or Mm -hmm. to live with he starts becoming friends with chris novoselic i think he is such an interesting guy he really is he's six foot seven i just never put that together like kurt cobain what do you think? Like five, eight, five, five ten, nine, ten, like yeah, somewhere sure. in there. For like sure. he is a full towering. He's a huge yeah. dude. He's a like, big guy. Yeah. They yeah. just they must have been a really funny like walking down the street. They're friends. Chris plays bass. Obviously, they're playing music together. And Chris, he's the son of a of a hairdresser. His mom, single mom, same, very similar situation, blue collar. It's kind of easy to see why they would be friends. Both love music. And they start playing shows as a three-man group called Skid Row. And they have a drummer named Chad Channing, who's also from Aberdeen. So according to Chad Channing, when he was interviewed for Soaked in Bleach, which I don't recommend by the way, uh, it's it's pretty it's it's gives you a timeline and there's some very interesting recordings of Courtney Love, but don't like pay for it. But Chad Channing, he according to him, he said Kurt got sick of the name Skid Row and then they changed their name to Pen Cap Chew, which is just like the most high school thing <laughs> literally I've ever heard. Pen Cap Chew. <laughs> and then he got sick of that name. So then they changed their name to Ted Ed Fred. Like he's just like, no. Sick of that. No, nope, I don't like that. Yeah. He's such yeah. an artist. It's like, total totally. artist. And then they changed their name to Bliss and then Nirvana and that stuff. He had just started to get into Buddhist principles. He was not a Buddhist. Okay. No, he just yeah. it, like his interest in religion is all over his music mm-hmm. and his yes. art. And so like, this is how he was introduced. It wasn't that he was a practicing Buddhist or anything like that. It's this group of three, right? Chris Novoselic, Kurt Cobain, Chad Channing, who record Nirvana's first album, Bleach, like Carly mentioned in 1989, that was released with Sub Pop Records. It's around this time that Kurt decides that he doesn't like Chad Channing as the drummer (laughs) of this band. According to one source, it's backstage at a Melvin show where Kurt Cobain first meets Dave Grohl, lead singer of the Foo Fighters, and arguably, in my opinion, one of the best music and just people to ever exist of all ever. time. I can't say enough good I things third, about Dave Grohl. I third that. Like, could not say a bad thing about him. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. Like, I know he's flawed. He's just a person like everyone else. (laughs) But I just, I just admire the guy. Always have. We're fans. Like, just big, big fan. And he starts again. He ends up being roommates with Kurt. Well, roommates. He's basically taking care of Kurt. 
Exactly. But he's, he's a drummer, you know? So both Kurt and Chris are like, oh, you know, maybe you should, we should like jam. We should play together sometime. And Chris Novoselic goes on to say that within two minutes of the first time they played with Dave Grohl, just like fucking around, he was like, this is it. Both he and Kurt were like, this is the guy. And so they fired Chad. I mean, Chad's out and Dave's in. And that's the Nirvana that we know today, Kurt, Chris, and Dave. And it's these three men boys, really. Dave Grohl was 20 years old, um, who recorded Nevermind, most famous Nirvana album by far, like we said, 85 million copies worldwide, instant classic. When it was released in 1991, changed their lives forever. No, no looking back after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it also gave other bands in Seattle area music scene, like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Mud Honey, more of a following because people were like if if this is if nirvana is coming out of seattle like there must be real talent in seattle yeah you know like that's just that's how people were like oh i also just want to mention mia zapata here i would be remiss not to mention her mia zapata amazing rock vocalist on the seattle scene during this time lead singer of the gits until she was murdered at 27 20s And we will absolutely cover this case. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but big shout out to her and her legacy for female rock vocalists for generations. Really another truly great artist that came out of that time that that died way too young. So in forming Nirvana, we got to talk just for a second about Generation X. So Generation X is the people who were born roughly anywhere from 1965 to 1980. And they're often just grouped in with Nirvana. Like you think of Gen (laughs) X and you think of Nirvana. They're also called the middle child generation because they're sandwiched right in between the boomers and the millennials. And in 1991, we weren't really talking about generational dynamics like we do now. Like, you know, we get called millennials much more often than someone would have been called a Gen Xer. But Kurt Cobain specifically was labeled as the voice of this generation. And from what we understand, he hated it. He felt like his music was being labeled as moody and grunge and talking about the dissatisfaction of a whole generation. And really to him, it was just his music. Like he's just playing music, doing his artistic thing. And so he really hated that. But coupled with that massive success of Nevermind, Kurt, Chris, and Dave were constantly being asked to like answer for the Gen X generation. Mm -hmm. Like they get so mad too, though. You can see how offended all three of them are. Like it's not Mm -hmm. even just Kurt, though. It's really like obviously, it's all of them. Kurt is literally the one that just has his head down, like on the table and is done. But the other two, you can just see the annoyance like in their faces like how they just they weren't cut I feel like they just weren't cut out for that part of it no no they weren't prepared at all especially people who didn't like it people who were like grunge is so like why are you guys so bummed all the time and all of this stuff yeah and why are you screaming the man you know this is you're talking about his life's work at this point even though he's young he really didn't appreciate it and neither did Chris neither did Dave even though Dave Grohl always has a big smile on which just I just I just can't and it's like the greatest yeah he was like the optimist he was like the optimist so positive like um so just like Katie said this led all of them to really dislike the press Kurt took it a little further as he often does and he would often blatantly say contradictory shit to different media outlets to get them to chase their tails just to fuck with them. Mm -hmm. Just like being pinned on the wrestling mat to piss off your dad. This comes back to haunt everyone after his death because it's so senseless. But it's important to remember, you know, when you look up those interviews of him or you see him on camera saying shit, he admitted and those around him confirmed that he would lie straight up Mm -hmm. and he would tell jokes as if they were true and he would deliberately try to mislead. There's this one interview that I saw and I love a guy that can't remember who was interviewing him, but he's like sitting... They're standing just like at the edge where like there's some water. Mm-hmm. It must be like on a patio. And like this is young journalist. Like she she was like very young. Yeah. Did, did you see that one? Yes, I, I did. Remember. I don't know what what station it is or whatever. Yeah, I don't either. But you could. Yeah, they're I like, that's like the, the only. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm like the pier. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's like the yeah, only yeah, yeah. one where I felt like it was an actual genuine conversation. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. We don't really know if anything he was saying was true or not true or whatever, but I feel Mm -hmm. like he wasn't giving her a hard time on purpose. No, he he doesn't seem to be. There's some of them where he's, did you see the one where he's laying on the floor with sunglasses on answering (laughs) questions? Yes. I'm like, he hates them. He he hates hates them so much. He hates it. What we call it's in my family. It's what we call like the person is being holiday. Like they're being extra like holiday Mm. Kurt. Like it's like he Mm. always, it's like he was always creating a scene. Yeah. When he feels uncomfortable or in a position where he feels powerless or out of control, like that he doesn't have control of the situation. He totally like he takes out. Yeah. Yeah. He completely. Yeah. I don't think he ever grew out of that. I think you're absolutely right. Nirvana's huge. Nevermind is huge. Everybody wants a piece of them. All of our magazines, everyone's talking about them. They're all over the radio. And if I haven't mentioned this up to this point, I don't think that there's probably anybody out there who doesn't know what Kurt Cobain looks like, but he is a very uh, a blue-eyed, fair-skinned, red stubbly beard, blonde, very attractive man. He's messy, Extremely but attractive. he's very attractive. And then when he starts singing, it only goes up from there. Yes. And so like, oh, God, he's seriously. just, that's part of this too. It's like, totally. he had the face for it. He had yeah. the voice, like all yeah. of it. It's just all perfectly, perfectly but also in his own different off the beaten path way. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Not conventional, yeah. but yeah, different. You know, people start to notice, you know, who's this, who is this man? And I can't believe he's single. And, you know, how much money can I make off of his mm. success? And how much of his life can I ruin by inserting my fucking dragon talons into his heart? Uh, <laughs> so that, I think that pretty much, I don't want to, I don't want to call it this too much, but I just, I know I'm going to try really right hard not to the dragon, <laughs> the dragon talons it's like right a two head like a two headed like right into you know your, your heart just... I'm going to drag my dragon talons right into your heart shaped box motherfucker mm, we're going to try to remain as objective as possible when Katie introduces us to a one Courtney love <laughs> during this time Kurt often compared himself to a woman named Frances Farmer and he actually made this reference of quite a few times while he was alive he compared himself to the actress Frances Farmer. She was a famous actress who actually suffered severely with mental issues and she struggled with her fame. She was a very famous actress in a lot of films in the 30s, I want to say. And Kerr really compared himself to, to this girl, Frances Farmer, and he, he really related to her a lot. So just keep that in mind. Okay, so... Courtney Love. Courtney Michelle Love was born on July 9th of 1964 in San Francisco, California. She was a big prominent figure in the alternative and grunge scene of the 90s. She was most known for her band that she started in 1989 known as Hole. They're pretty good. Yeah. She really stood out in a lot of ways. It was like very, the music was feminist. It was ballsy. She used like what were considered really bad words back then. And like, she was very ballsy for her time in her music, but she did Mm -hmm. other stuff as well. She was also a songwriter and she was also an actress. The two films that were done by Alex Cox, one of them was called Sid and Nancy, and that was in 1986. And another one was in Straight to Hell, which was in 1987. And Kurt Cobain actually saw that movie and he actually saw her in it before they ever even met. And that was in 87. There are multiple accounts of how Kurt and Courtney met. You know, we can't know which one is to be exact for sure. But what we do know is that Michael Azarad uh, wrote a biography about Kurt. Kurt actually chose him to later make this biography. I still don't know if I feel like I totally credit everything that he says. I know that's the problem know. with this. We don't, but know. I feel, but I do feel like there is a little bit of accuracy just in the fact that Kurt did choose him. Like, I feel like he does have a little bit more of a sway than some of the other reporters do. So he cites that on January 21st of 1989 at a Dharma bums gig in Portland is where they first met. However, another biography that was written by Charles Cross in 2001 claims that love and Cobain met at the same nightclub, but at a different show that Nirvana was playing at, which was January 12th of 1990. And they were both like 
in their underground rock bands. They were starting to get, both of them were starting to get famous. And apparently Courtney like made some advances to Kurt, but he was like, he wasn't too sure about it. Well, apparently she says to him, you look like Dave Pierner, which was the lead singer of Soul Asylum at the time. And apparently, according to Kurt, he says that he tackled her. Like she literally said, you look like this guy. And he said he just tackled her to the floor. Okay. Seriously, first thing I thought of is like, it's so emo. So apparently he tackles her like the first time they met. It's so 90s. And they like flirted briefly at this club. But Kurt had a girlfriend at that time. And so Toby it, nothing, in the house. It did, Toby. Yes. And so it didn't go from there. However, from that time that Courtney saw him, she was pretty dead set that she was going to be his girlfriend. Her life was really similar to Kurt. They were both like starving artists, but they also, they were outsiders in the same vein. You know, they connected because they were both so different. It's a, it's good to mention just because like, I don't know anything about like her young childhood at all, but I do know that she fucking emancipated from her parents when she was 16 yeah. and got a trust yes. fund payment of $3,500 every month from that point on. I know they did connect because her parents also divorced. Yeah. Something's <laughs> not completely clean in the milk. I agree. And so, well, and so what we're going to lead into next is after only a few weeks of Courtney and Kurt starting to date, Courtney decides to do heroin with Kurt Cobain. He did it for the first time with Courtney. She was the one that showed him. And she admits that as well. She admits she admits yep. that she is yep. the one that showed it to him. Um, but even before that, like obviously we know Kurt dabbled in drugs. Um, he started smoking weed age like 13. He started smoking to deal with like his daily physical pain from an undiagnosed stomach condition, as well as like all of the family problems he was having at home. And Tracy would say that while they were together, Kurt had a period where he was really getting into drugs like LSD. So like he was definitely, you know, escaping. It. Um, he reportedly had depression, which he had previously been on prescription drugs for, but that along with suicidal thoughts and alcoholism led to his first experience with heroin with Courtney. Well, I have led to his first experience with heroin around 1986. She does, but Katie's right. Courtney Love does claim that yeah. she was she the was first the first person one to do heroin to do it with, with him. Well, I got maybe from, it can be, that can be another one. You decide. You decide. Allegedly, we don't know. He got it from a local drug dealer that had previously given him oxycodone. Maybe if she wasn't the first one to do it with him she they did it together for yes. the first time let's when say they're like together, together. Yeah. that's when he it becomes a full-fledged addiction according to courtney kurt had apparently like said he had been determined to get a heroin habit as relief for his stomach pain. But friends said that his stomach pain was more likely from the heroin use. Kurt liked to use it as an excuse to keep using and maybe for sympathy. He would vomit very often, which is like we're vomiting with a smile on your face. They say is like the heroin motto. Yikes. No, yeah. thank yeah, you. So scary. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, according to Courtney, he once told her that his goal was to make $3 million and then just become a junkie. So by the time Nirvana was on tour with Nevermind in 1992, Kurt's heroin use was like at an all-time high and it had really begun to affect the band at this point. Nirvana was performing on Saturday Night Live and Kurt fell asleep during a photo shoot for the show. And the morning after their performance, he had his first near-death overdose. A full year later in July 1993, before a performance at the New Music Seminar in New York City, Kurt had another overdose. And instead of calling 911, Courtney just injected Kurt with naloxone to bring him back to consciousness. So this shit just keeps going. Going for the next few months. And then in March of 1994, his downward spiral like really began. Kurt would fall into a coma while in Italy and he almost died after mixing Rofinol and champagne. But the public was led to believe the coma was due to an accidental heroin overdose. And Courtney and his friends were obviously concerned at this point. I don't know. Courtney's already had to resuscitate him like twice. So like, oh God, I don't know. This I mean, is addiction tough. This is, is tough a hell of a disease. It's it a really hell of a is. disease regardless. And it really is. Courtney's doing it along with him. You know, it's just the whole. I do think that they had different levels. Like, yeah. I think that she yeah. was obviously came from money and she liked to be fucked up, but only at a little bit, like yeah. not yeah. to the level that he was trying to go. 
Absolutely. You know, and yeah, so and like extent, he, he surpassed her. Yeah. Yeah. So like Courtney and his friends are concerned and they do try to get Kurt help. And Kurt mostly completely ignored their <laughs> advice, but he would eventually reluctantly check into a rehab in LA at the end of March. Um, but he was not there long. Yeah. He checked himself out. He left the clinic without informing his family or friends. He just peaced out. I didn't tell anybody. Yeah, he jumped a <clears> fence. He just yeah. went out for a yeah. he lasted two went. days, went out for a cigarette and out. Yep, never came back. Yeah. Never came back. But Courtney had no idea where he was. Nobody really knew. So on April 3rd, she hired a private detective who would end up finding Kurt the following day in Seattle. But Kurt refused to return to rehab. Yikes. Bad. Just really bad. bad. You know, when I was in Rome, I got bronchitis myself. Oh, no. And um, this is like 2008. um, And I went to a pharmacy in Italy and I don't even know what they gave me. Okay. It was all in Italian. (laughs) The best shit I have ever been on in my entire life. It was a bottle. It was Whoa. a glass bottle of like cough syrup, whatever. My cousin was like, they're, they're all sightseeing, going to the Trevi Fountain. And I'm like, I can't, I'm sick. She comes home. I took half the bottle. I just, I, I'm bopping around the ha- Like, I'm <laughs> no, like doing no. great. She's like, what the fuck? She t- took it away from me. She's like, you got to stop taking this. I'm like, this shit is great. And I, I, I mean, like <laughs> he was drinking champagne and taking right. prescription meds. Right. But like, I wasn't drinking on it because I already was like on cloud nine but i kind of i kind of was like oh wow a doctor prescribed him that in rome i believe it yeah i don't even know what the stuff was that i had but i was like every time i've been sick since then i've been like i wish i had that shit from rome like (laughs) i really i do i was just like yeah kurt and courtney were like i said their lives were a lot alike and they were only together for four months they only dated for four months before courtney found out that she was pregnant they decided to get to get married so they wed in honolulu hawaii the bride wore a dress that was previously owned by, get this, the Hollywood actress, Frances Farmer. So remember how I told you he was like comparing himself to her? Well, she actually had a dress from the actress. And how much money did that cost? And yeah. Kurt, however, according to Kurt, he did not feel like wearing a tux. He didn't want to go back to change to get a tux. So he wore he? green flannel pajamas to his wedding and he carried a purse. That should tell you kind of where he was when they got married. The marriage, can however- you, please, Can like, you imagine? I can I just ask you, like, you're in hair and makeup. You're getting done. Like, you're getting no. all dolled up. She- and you get your flowers in your hands and you do all this and you turn and you're at the beginning of the aisle and you look up and there's your husband in green flannel pajamas the purse doesn't bother me as much the The green flannel pajamas like yeah it's bad a dress worn from a 1930s movie starlet he's impossible okay he's really impossible I think they're fucked up I think they're fucked up very fucked up Yes, yes. They're totally fucked up. Yeah. And she's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm marrying fucking Kurt Cobain. I don't give a fuck yeah. if he was naked. She don't give a fuck. <laughs> We're in a tux t-shirt. Like whatever. So, whatever. Kurt immediately after the marriage straight goes into a funk. He immediately goes into a funk right after the marriage. It seemed to worsen his anxieties. He further retreats into himself. And apparently this is when the bin- like really bad binges begin. They would try to get clean. Like Quinny said, they, they would try, they would go, they would actually, they both checked themselves into rehab actually. It didn't last. They ended up checking themselves out a few days later. I think four days later. They seem to get along at times, like while she's pregnant. But you can tell like, especially in montage of tech that there was like a lot of toxicity like yeah just, for sure yes and we also find out that like courtney was definitely using heroin like during the pregnancy and mm-hmm. so she was using heroin obviously before she knew she was pregnant because she obviously didn't know yet and so she did heroin a couple times apparently while she was pregnant before she knew and then she also later comes out and says that she did do it once when she knew and also i think they just had a lot of like hanger on people around Mm -hmm. them who were just like mooching off of them and like trying to get like anything they could and it was that was not good for her to have come out like at all like that made people really hate her and and rightly so you definitely see some toxicity you feel it you almost feel a little dirty when you see some of it it's just really sad so again like i said they enroll in multiple detox programs and attempts to get clean before the baby came but they they wouldn't last francis bean was born they named 
painter Francis on August 18th, 1992. And Kurt's immediate initial decision was that he was going to quit the band. Like he was going to quit Nirvana in order to like be a better father, like to provide for the kid. Well, he was going to quit the band and he was going to quit heroin. And of course he didn't quit either. Montage of Heck, like I said, it shows this really sad side. You start to see like the beginning of Francis's life. And it's just like a lot of things that you don't really want to see. It's very, it's it's very, it's tragic. Kurt walks out of Francis's first birthday party. You also see him nodding out on camera while she's getting her first haircut. There's definitely times in the movie where you feel like almost like you're noticing like that they're both fucked up, but it's almost like he's just like I said earlier, like he's in a worse spot than she is. He's Mm -hmm. going way farther. You hear Courtney in the background, like, come on, Kurt, like you don't want your daughter to see you like this. Like, it's like you very much realize that now it's gotten to the point where he's just so bad off. There's like not a lot of hope for him and she's trying so hard to have faith like that they can be this family that raises this baby together and unfortunately like that just was not the case and that's really what he had wanted that whole time like he really did he did yeah he was too fucked up to notice he's just too fucked up and you do see yes and you do see like those really cute they do have a few subtle cute little moments too Mm -hmm. where it is sweet and like you do see the potential of them like having that real you know like that one little part where he's got Francis and he's dancing with her yeah and it's like so cute and he's got her talking in the camera it's like okay like it was it's there it's like they're right on the brink Mm -hmm. of like being that like healthy stable family that Francis needed so bad and unfortunately that's just not what happens not only were there overdoses but Kurt also attempted to kill himself a couple just a couple years after Francis was born because he thought that Courtney was having an affair and apparently according to Courtney she claims that she was thinking about having an affair but she claims that Kurt was psychic and he somehow knew that she was going to have the affair it's also another one of those moments where Courtney becomes the hero fucking but also like Courtney. you tried so hard you were dead set to get him as your boyfriend and then husband and now and father of your baby and you're apparently thinking about having an affair she so, says a whole bunch of shit about like rituals she says like she yeah. built an altar to Kurt Jeer mm-hmm. say that about yes. how she like all of yes. this stuff I'm like yeah. okay like I, you know Quinny, she was obsessed with Quinny she was obsessed she was. with him yeah. she was, she was so like how is she gonna have an affair then but yeah so just gives you an idea of like those first few years of, of her being a baby Francis like it was very toxic and it was really just an unhealthy living situation and you're all you're seeing is Kurt slowly going downhill yeah. actually quickly going downhill quite frankly and, and wasn't you know, there like CPS you know um Yes. Well, because she came yes. out in the press and said yes. she was doing yeah. heroin while she was exactly. pregnant. That got yeah. the attention of people. And you they, know? Did, have, and and they the, did have custody issues for all sure. Eyes 100%. Are on Kurt anyway. Mm-hmm. Knowing yeah, he's, he's being watched, watched up yep, all right. the time. Yeah. And big shout out to Frances Bean. She is a very She's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. unbelievable. She's very impressive her so modeling cool. career. And so I love cool. her voice too. And her yeah. voice is amazing. And I love it when she sings her dad's songs. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Kirk Cobain, he's a dad. Right. His marriage has fallen apart. Just like Carly said, he had a he was diagnosed with uh, laryngitis, bronchitis while they were touring Europe. He goes to Rome. He chugs champagne and 67 rehypnol. Courtney really calls that a suicide attempt. She labels that a suicide attempt. You know, over the next couple of weeks, just like Carly said, he's got he's goes to rehab. He bails on rehab. He says he wants to do all these things. He doesn't do any of them. Chris Novoselic said that he saw Kurt right around this time and he said he looked like absolute shit worst Mm -hmm. he'd ever seen him look shortly before this shortly before he goes and checks into rehab courtney um calls the police on kurt on march 18th i think this is really interesting this is the first time the seattle police really get to know kurt cobain and courtney love she says that kurt is threatening to kill himself and had locked himself in a room of the house and had a gun and when the police got there they find kurt cobain in the backyard no gun and the seattle police would go on to say that he was just brutally embarrassed like could barely make eye contact with them looking at the ground explaining no i'm not suicidal i locked myself in a room to get the fuck away from my wife wife because we're in a fight and the police the police left 
Like that was the end of it. She also says that she organized an intervention for him before he went to. Yeah, um, of course she did. Before he went to rehab. But also that's completely contradicted by other people who she claims were there. Who knows? Who knows? You can decide. So just like Carly said, he bails from rehab and he grabbed a taxi, went to LAX, flew right back to Seattle. And this is where the timeline gets very, very murky. We're going to talk a lot about this next episode. Nobody knows where Kurt is. Nobody. There's no one to corroborate where he was or what the hell he was doing. Courtney is frantically trying to reach him. She calls, she's calling the treatment center when he's there and he will not take her calls, refuses her calls. Okay. So that should give you an idea of what's going on with them. She keeps calling. Sometimes she's impersonating his family. Sometimes she's impersonating Nirvana's manager just to see if she can get him on the phone. Can't get through. On April 3rd, she hires Tom Grant, the private investigator, just like Carly said, to go find Kurt. We're going to talk at length about this guy and this whole thing next episode. And then we start getting these little rumors that Nirvana is breaking up. And to this day, we don't really know who started those rumors, but I have a I have a guess. I have an idea. Really like only one guess. Well, yeah, I mean, if Kurt's gone, how can he be in the band, right? Yep. On April 7th, Nirvana officially pulls out of Lollapalooza. Now, Lollapalooza is like a music festival, Chicago area. It's like Bonnaroo before Bonnaroo. Dude, it's, it's a- on my bucket list. I want to go to Lollapalooza so I know, bad. I don't think I could ever go to another music festival. I no. know I'm. Too old. I, I know mm. I'm too old. I'm too old. So this <laughs> because they pulled out, this does kind of imply that maybe Kurt talked to someone during this time. But again, still unclear. Neither Dave or Chris say that they spoke to him during this period. So we don't know how that was mm-hmm. confirmed, but it was confirmed. According to the tapes that were released by Tom Grant, again, in Soaked in Bleach, I do not recommend it. Courtney was really, really pissed about them pulling out of Lollapalooza for a, for a lot of reasons. She maintains in the used documentary very loosely, she maintains that it was Hole, her band, who had been originally invited to play Lollapalooza, but she had declined so that Nirvana could play. I don't even have the energy to discuss how unlikely that is, but that's what she says. Again, Kurt and Courtney in their 20s, millions of dollars. People say a lot of shit always. You know what I mean? So there's just nothing you can do about it. And then unfortunately, on April 8th of 1994, after a lot of mystery that we're going to get into the next episode, an electrician who had been hired to install a security system at Kurt Cobain's Seattle residence found his dead body in a room above his garage. He only saw a small amount of blood coming from Kurt's ear and he thought he might just be asleep until he saw the shotgun underneath his chin. He was 27 years old. I found one source that says that this electrician, before he called the police, called the local radio station to tell them first. And if that's true... I have no faith left in humanity whatsoever. None. It's gone. None. It's obliterated. It's Absolutely. completely gone. Because, well, people have been telling him, you have to get security. Think about how insane this is. He yes. jumps from rehab. He gets in the taxi. He flies. He's God knows where. You don't know where he is. He doesn't yeah. have a bodyguard. And he's Kurt Cobain. It's the same thing with John Lennon. Yeah. People have been telling yeah. him, like, you have to get security. Like, someone could, you don't know what's going to happen. There are crazy people in um, the world. There are world. crazy people in the world. Fanatics. So obviously this is hugely shocking to everyone. So within a few hours of Kurt's death, Ugh. it's confirmed in the news and immediately stores completely sell out of Nirvana cities. Like even in the UK, everyone's going absolutely apeshit over it. Nirvana immediately broke up after Kurt's death because that's it. Kurt. I mean, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, they never played again. They would hold a public vigil on April 10th, 1994 at a park in Seattle where about 7,000 mourners attended. They played pre-recorded messages by Courtney and Chris and Courtney read portions of his suicide note, crying and chastising Kurt. And at the end would give away some of his clothing to the mourners. Kurt's mom would arrange a final ceremony for Kurt on May 31st, 1999. So a few years later, Courtney and Tracy would attend. A Buddhist monk chanted while Francis Bean scattered Kurt's ashes into McLean Creek in Olympia. A little Dave Grohl would later say, say that he completely felt utterly lost after Kurt's death. He had no idea what to do. He lost months of time out of his life where he had no idea what he even did. His life was turned completely upside down. Weirdly, usually after a celebrity suicide, suicide rates in general, like especially in whatever area the celebrity is from, will increase in the weeks after the event. Like 
a lot like copycat suicides. But with Kurtz in the Seattle area, and even as far as like Australia, in the weeks after his death, rates went significantly down. Um, It was also a very big moment for media covering this kind of tragedy because it was the first time that journalists who were covering a high profile celebrity suicide would include warning signs and hotline numbers. Just had to take this moment to say like, if you need help or know of anyone who needs help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline 1-800-273-8255. But Kurt's death would become a topic of fascination and much debate. And according to a spokesperson of the Seattle Police Department, the department receives at least one weekly request to reopen the investigation. Everyone's got to spin on it. The, the whole entire next episode will Including just Courtney's be... own father, which I just can't wait to talk about. Please don't do heroin. Please My don't. advice to you would just Seriously. be, please just don't ever for don't any reason even try doing heroin ever, even once. Go because, drop acid uh, all day, dude. Go drop dude, acid Oh yeah, day. absolutely. You go on an emotional psychedelic journey for sure. People, people are using that for PTSD today yeah. for incredible results, yeah. lifelong yeah. lasting results yeah. Um, yeah. done with a medical professional. People are, people are being blindfolded and tripped with a guide and it is changing their mental health and it's really it's there's good medicine so there cool. but just yeah. please just stay away from yeah. heroin just stay Don't away from it. it it's just it just takes too many good ones so yeah next episode we are going to go deep we're going to go deep into the suicide we're going to get deep we're into gonna go it, deep Queenies. into the conspiracies all surrounding this case it's going to be very difficult to rein me the fuck in listen to straight up evil